so here in Mark chapter 5, uh, we see that the disciples and Jesus are now going into a different storm. Rather than a physical windstorm, they're fixing, uh, they're heading into a spiritual storm uh, that takes place. But but as we were, and when we're talking about the purpose in the storms, we see it's it's not really a storm, even though we like to call them storms. And and there is a, a trials, there is hardship, there is struggle uh, sometimes in the in the midst of it. But it's not really a storm as much as it is an opportunity. What Jesus did. Uh, in, in Mark chapter 4, and taking those disciples through the storm, prepared them for the ministry of the spiritual storm that they're fixing to go through here in chapter 5. See, oftentimes we, we think it's, it's, it's about us. When we're in the midst of a storm or this storm comes, we start thinking about us and we, how we would like God to, to stop the storm. How, uh, and even talking about you know, our growth in the midst of the storm, and those are good things as well, but the storm is not always about us. Sometimes the storm is about helping others and ministering to others because that's what is going place here. He takes them through that storm in chapter 4, but he takes them to a place of ministry. He's preparing them for the ministry ahead. You see, there's always work to be done. There are always people who need encouraging. There are always people who need, need ministering to. There's ministry. There's service. There are people who need to be set free on the other side of the storm or sometimes right in the middle of the storm as well. And so that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 5. We're going to read quite a few verses here to get the, the whole context of this story of exactly what takes place. So Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where it says, then they, they is Jesus and his disciples, they came to the other side of the sea. That's a powerful statement there, because if you remember back in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And here they are, at the other side. They did exactly what Jesus promised there. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains." Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains uh, and the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Let me just stop right there for just a moment, and let me just say, wherever you are, whatever you've been through in life, if this man can come to Jesus, so can you. So can you. I know uh, as we do this online, one of the benefits of, of doing this online is that sometimes it allows people to silently in the background without people even knowing to watch this broadcast and to to hear what is going on and to secretly hear from afar. And some of you may be, be there because of things that have happened in your life and, and you're kind of checking some things out. And I want you to know that Jesus knows who you are and Jesus is for you. You can come to him. If this man can, so can you. 
So he comes to Jesus. There in verse 6, pick up again right there where it says, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now this was his voice box and his voice, but it wasn't really him that was speaking. As we see, it says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Verse 8, for he, Jesus, had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he was speaking to the, the demon or the demons that were there because he answered and said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now let me stop right there. When, you say, when we say we are many that are there, Legion, understand, is 6,000. That's what, this is a demonic horde that has come out, not necessarily to control this man, but to encounter Jesus, to stop Jesus. That's what's going on here. And we'll see why in just a moment, that the demons are coming against Jesus. Six, at least 6,000 of them, a legion of demons is filling this man and are there to stop Jesus from doing what Jesus is fixing to do. Verse 10. Also, he begged him earnestly, begged Jesus earnestly, that Jesus would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons, all the legion, 6,000 of them, begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They entered the pigs there. And there were about 2,000 of those pigs. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now the, the, the pigs drowned, but this is not the last time demons will oppose Jesus. And by the way, it's not the last time demons will oppose us either. Because if you're a child of God, they, they are at work. And they are, we are, if anything else, from our Old Testament reading there, you ought to see that the enemy's always on attack. Always on attack. He never stops. This attack is conquered here, but the enemy comes back later. Verse 14 says, So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that happened. And, and they came to Jesus, and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And so you would think that they would say, glory, hallelujah, look at what has happened. Let's just have a big celebration and worship service. Let's start a revival right here. But no, it says in verse 17, they began to plead with him to depart from the region. They wanted Jesus to leave. Verse 18, and when he, Jesus, got into the boat... He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. He just says, I just want to be with you, Jesus. Let me go with you. But notice what Jesus says, verse 19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began the, the demon-possessed man, the one that was demon-possessed, he no longer is, the one who's been set free, 
departed and to be, began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. What a story. What an encounter. And by the way, the, the title of this sermon this morning is Not Today, Satan. <laughs> Not today. Not today. And that ought to be our prayer every day. It's because, not because of, of who we are, but because of whose we are. And because of who we belong to. And because of the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to wake up every day and say, not today, Satan. Not today. That's what's going on here. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he's talking about the church, talking about uh, the believers in Christ. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell, he's not talking about the onslaught of hell or the attack of hell. He's talking about the gates to, to the Satan's kingdom. They shall not prevail. And here we see in Mark chapter 5, Jesus giving an example of what it means to attack the gates of hell, and when. And that's exactly what Jesus did. These, these demons here, they knew Jesus was coming. Satan knew Jesus was coming. That's why they're mounting up all these forces to stop Jesus. But the gates of hell cannot prevail against our Lord and Savior, against the head of the church, Jesus Christ. They cannot. They cannot. Now, as we look at this, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is, as I do want us to take a look at the opposing ones that are here, at the, the demons and, and what they are doing here. And sometimes we get caught up in that. I don't want to spend all my time on that, but I do want you to understand that there are, there is opposition that is there. There is spiritual opposition that is against us as believers, that is against the kingdom of God, that is against the church. The first thing we need to see about these opposing ones is that they are real. If Jesus is real and he is, then demons are real and they are. Now notice what he, how he describes them here. Back in, uh, in verse 2, he talks about this man that has this unclean spirit or really unclean spirits that are within him. They are spirits. They are spiritual beings. They are not physical beings. They are spiritual beings. Doesn't mean that they're not real, but it means they work in the spiritual realm. That means you may not see a demon floating around. You may not see a, a demon walking down the street, but that doesn't mean that they're not at work. It doesn't mean that they're not real. They work in the spiritual realm. They work and they are active, but they work in the spiritual realm. They're invisible to us. We can see their effects. We can see what they're doing, but they are just as much real as the Holy Spirit is real, as angels are are real. Demons are real as well. They're, they're unclean spirits. They're, they're not only spirits, but it says here they're unclean spirits. That means there's nothing clean about them. That's what this word means. It means there's nothing right about them in anything that they do, in anything that they attempt, in anything that they try to lead people to do. They are impure in all ways. There is nothing that a demon can do that honors God. They're unclean. And, and by the way, understand this, that the demons, you say, well, what about the demon's statement in right there in verse 7? And this, this teaches us something about demonic activity, but also about our flesh as well. Because he's, they say in verse 7, they said, what have I to do you with Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment. That sounds like something that honors God, right? Understand this, right words without a right heart do not honor God. 
God's not as concerned about the words that we say as he is the condition of our heart. That's true of demons. The demons, they only bow when they're forced to. They do not have a heart that wants to bow to God. He's speaking the truth. They're speaking the truth, but not with the right heart. And by the way, whenever we try to worship God or say the right thing with our heart not being a heart of worship and surrender to God, we are never more demonic than we are right then. That's demonic. So they're unclean spirits. And then he reveals even more what these unclean spirits really are. They are demons. He he mentions that in verse 12 when he says there, it says, so all the demons begged Jesus. And then down in in verse 15, he says, that they who came to Jesus saw the one who had been demon-possessed, or really it says was possessed by the demon. The devil himself apparently is active uh, in here because he is the leader of the demons. That's what demonic these are these spirit beings that were in heaven at one day that, that when Lucifer, the devil, when he rebelled against God at that time, a third of the angels fell with him. Those are these demonic spirits that are here. And I ain't got time to go into all that. It's, it's found in Isaiah chapter 14. It's found in Ezekiel 28. Revelation gives us insight in that. The teachings of Jesus give us insight. The teachings of Jesus give us insight into that as well. There are these spiritual beings that that are at work against the kingdom of God, against the people of God, don't deny. Matter of fact, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with these principalities, with spiritual wickedness in high places. That is who we wrestle against. They are real and they are active. Notice how it describes some of the activity that they are involved in here. First of all, they're involved in death and destruction. It talks about how this man that was demon-possessed, how he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead. That's where demons are at home with death and destruction. They are rebellious in nature. They rebelled at one time. The rebellion continues. It says, here that no man can tame them. They're not going to surrender to man. They're not going to surrender to God until they absolutely have to, until God forces them to do. They are rebellious in nature. They are powerful. It talks about how they broke the chains and the shackles that were here. By the way, demons are more powerful than us. They're not afraid of our words. If you remember the story in in Acts about the the sons of Sceva who came out and said, uh, we implore you demons, there's a demon-possessed man there. They said, we implore you demons to come out by the name of the Jesus whom Paul preached. And they said, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? See, we have no power over the enemy. Jesus does. But we don't. They are more powerful than us. And if we ever go to war with the enemy without a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. They're powerful. They're angry. They're crying out day. This this man is crying out day and night, making others afraid. Didn't want to be around anybody. He's angry at everybody. Sound familiar? They inflict pain. He he gashed himself. He cut himself. They are also deceitful. As we mentioned there that they bow before Jesus, but they really don't bow. They bow physically, but not spiritually before him. They acknowledge who he is, but they do not live like he is who he is. They're deceitful. You know, the question arises and. and Some have asked this of me in in times past about 
Well, why don't, you know, we, we read in, in Scripture with Jesus and even in Acts and things about these demon-possessed people. Why don't we see this today? You know, why don't, why don't we see? Well, the, I think the key word in that question is see. doesn't mean they're not real. Just, we just don't see it quite like that because they don't have to work like that today. So that, I think that's part, part of it is that we're blinded to the spiritual realm. There are people who, who are occupying churches and, and, and claim to be Christians that don't even believe demons exist. And so they, they've worked their, their work of deceit, and so people are blinded, and they're not even looking for them. They're not even aware of what's going on. And then we give any bad thing that happens, we say, well, the devil's doing it. I mean, if we, we stick a, a, a thorn in our finger, we say the devil did it. No, maybe you just shouldn't have grabbed that branch, you know? Uh, and so we... we and so we're so confused about things like that. But then I think the other thing is, too, is that the reasons demons are so visible in, in the time of Jesus and in the in Acts as well is because Jesus was so active. And now often what's going on in our lives today and in the church today is, is that we're, we're doing it all ourselves. It's not Jesus. And so the demons aren't even worried about us. They know that what we're doing will accomplish absolutely nothing. We may be saying the right thing, but our hearts are not in it. So without even knowing it, we're doing the work of the enemy. So why would he have to reveal himself in open opposition? Now, when you get your heart right with Jesus, and when you begin to serve him with your whole heart, and he is all that matters in your life, and he's in control of your life, and he's in power in your life, the demons will take notice. You know, back to that sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. You know, one of the, the, of course the demons knew Jesus. We see here that the demons knew Jesus. But one of the statements that stands out in that is that they also knew Paul. Because Paul was a man who was filled with Jesus Christ. He said, I am crucified with Christ. And he said, I live, but it's not I. It is Christ who lives in me. So, of course, the demons knew who Paul was. There are opposing ones. But praise God, there is the victorious one. One. We like to talk about our victory. But understand this. The only reason we ever have our victory is because he shares his victory. He is the victorious one. And we will never walk in victory until we're walking in his victory. If we're walking in our own abilities and our own strength and our own knowledge, it'll never happen. He is the victorious one. Only Jesus is the victorious one. The reason we have victory is not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of anything that we are. It's not because of our abilities or our talents or even our own faith. Our faith works because our faith is in Him. He is the one that gives the victory. He alone has the power over the enemy. And so what we must do is surrender everything we have to the victorious one. Yes, the opposing ones are real. Yes, demons are real. Yes, Satan is real, but Jesus is real. Jesus is even more real than they are. He is the real one. The demons knew this. That's why they had to bow. They could not continue doing what they were doing because they were in the presence of the Son of God who was real. 
So they had to bow. Notice what they, what they do here. They, they, their response to Jesus lets us know how real Jesus is. Because, see, the demons had a belief. They have a belief in God. Not a saving belief, not saving faith, but they have faith in God. They know who he is. First of all, they believed in the deity of Christ. Look what it says there in verse 7. As it says this, he cried out. It was the demons crying out through this man, but with a loud voice. And he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that Jesus was the divine son of God. He believed in the deity of Jesus. That's why he said that and and why even back in verse 6 he runs and he must bow before him. He must worship him. The demons cannot resist bowing before Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the son of God. He's real. And so they believe that. They also, listen, the demons believe in prayer more than we do. Notice what these demons do. They understand who's in authority and who's not. So what did they they do there in, in verse 10? It says, they begged him earnestly that they would be, not be sent out of the country. They begin praying to Jesus. They, they beg him. When is the last time we as a church, we as individuals, begged him earnestly for him to work? When is the last time we begged him earnestly to send revival? When is the last time we begged him earnestly for the souls of lost family members, of lost friends, of lost neighbors? And here are these demons doing what, what we should be doing all the time, what the disciples should have been doing. Matter of fact, when they were in the boat, they, they come against him. They, they wake him up and say, why don't you care for him? Why didn't they beg him earnestly when they were in the storm? The demons are showing us that, that we should be praying to the Son of God. Not only that, but listen, they believe in the final judgment. They believe in the end times. They mention there in verse 7, they say that they they implore him they recognize him as the son of the most high god and then they say i implore you by god that you do not torment me they knew that torment was coming they knew that judgment was coming and they thought that maybe this is the time when their judgment will begin they knew who was in control they knew that that was coming one day they believe in the final judgment and they're also the ones who obeyed jesus in verse 13 it says and once jesus gave them permission once jesus told them to go Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. Listen, they obeyed Jesus, but their obedience was out of obligation and out of fear and out of opportunity, not from the heart. That's the difference in our belief and their belief. They know Jesus is real. They know Jesus has the authority. They even bow before Jesus, but their belief and their bowing is out of obligation and duty because they have to, not because they want to. Whereas believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to respond to him out of the heart. The heart. The victorious one is real. That's why we ought to adore him. That's why we ought to to love him. Not only is he real, but listen, he's also the Lord. He is the all-ruling Lord.
Lord. They, they come to him and, and, and they have this heart of rebellion, but yet even the demons must bow before him. Even the demons must obey him. They obey him because they have to. We ought to be obeying him because we want to. He is the all-ruling Lord. He is also the all-powerful Lord. He is Lord over the storms. He is Lord over Satan and his demons. He, by the way, he's Lord over COVID as well. He's in control of the. Listen, I, I, and, I, and I am praying. And a matter of fact, I, I think it was this week I heard a, a prayer request that just made a lot of sense to me, uh, specifically how to pray for this, is that this disease would mutate into a non-lethal, non uh, infectious type disease. It could happen that, that, that way and, 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 and to pray that God would either eliminate it or, or do that and, and that, that could happen and so that makes sense. But Jesus hadn't done that yet. God hadn't done that yet. Have you ever stopped and asked why? Not in accusing God like God doesn't know what he's doing type of Say, God, what are you doing in this? And, and I, I, I do think that in many ways it is an, an act of judgment and there is a world that, that needs judgment and that one day will be judged. But when you look at all this stuff we've been reading through the Old Testament, God not only judges the world, but he judges his people. Matter of fact, the scripture says judgment begins where? In the house of God. In the house of God. I think this is a wake-up call for us as believers. What is God trying to wake you up to? What is God trying to wake us up to? Maybe we've been doing everything out of duty and obligation without a full surrender to the victorious one, and that's why we're being defeated. But not today, Satan. Not today, not anymore. Not anymore. Because we serve the all-ruling, all-powerful Lord. And by the way, this all-ruling, all-powerful Lord is the all-compassionate Lord as well. He is the loving one. Do you realize what he did here? He took all these disciples and went, took them through a storm to set one man free. What love! What compassion, this man who has been tormented by, by these demons, these demonic forces, and, and, and here he is, he is set free. He went through even the storm to get to him. And when he got there, rather than judging him and saying, okay, what did you do wrong to allow these demons to come into your life? He doesn't ask anything like that. He just says, come out of him. Be free. What love, what compassion. And here's this man. Now he's in his right mind. And by the way, this right mind, let, let's look at him, that, that we see the victorious one. But then let's, let's close by looking at this one that has been conquered, the conquered one. By the way, freedom, being set free, does not mean that we're in charge. You are only set free when you bow the knee and become enslaved to Jesus Christ. That's when you're set free from from. The, the demons and from the world and from everything that is out there, it is only by surrendering to the one true Lord and becoming the conquered one that we get his victory. And that's what happens here. He bows before him. Freedom comes from bowing to Jesus and not just bowing the knee, but bowing the heart. We need to be the conquered ones. Look, look back in verse 2. 
where it says, and when he, this man, uh, or when Jesus, Jesus is the he here, when Jesus came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Understand this. Just meeting Jesus and even just coming to Jesus and even just hearing a little, just a little bit, saying the right things about Jesus does not bring freedom. There have been tons of people that some are still in churches today, some are no longer in churches today, that came to a service that walked down an aisle that said the right thing, but their lives were never changed. You see, your heart has to be impacted by Jesus. And even though you say the right thing, there's got to be an act of faith of the heart where you turn from yourself and everything else and surrender everything to him. And then you get his victory. When you become the conquered one, conquered by Jesus Christ, he brings the victory. And so that's what happened. And look at, and look at how it happens here. The change, he's in his right mind. What does that look like? First of all, it looks like a heart for Jesus. His heart has been changed, completely changed. He's no longer angry. He's no longer violent. He's no longer controlled by, by, by demons anymore. His heart has been changed. He's in his right mind. That's what it says in verse 15. But then notice what it says in, in verse 18. When they try to they run Jesus off, well, they actually do run Jesus off. Verse 18 says, and when he, Jesus, got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. That's his heart. I want to be with you, Jesus. See, that's what Jesus came through the storm across the sea, uh, took the disciples who were immature and all that with him and came all the way across because Jesus wanted to come to him. Jesus wanted to be with him. Jesus wanted to set him free. And so his response is, now I want to be with you. I'll go through any storm. I'll cross any sea. I'll leave everything else behind. I just want to be with you. That is his heart. His heart has been changed. He has a heart for Jesus. Jesus said, all I want is you. And now the man is responding back in faith and saying, and Jesus, all I want is you. All I want is you. But notice, there's not only a heart for Jesus. When you've been conquered by Jesus, you not only have a heart for him, but he gives you a heart for others. He changes your heart. It's no longer about us. It's about Jesus, and it's about others, a heart for the world. Notice what takes place. Jesus says, Jesus doesn't say he's done anything wrong. Matter of fact, it is great that he has a heart for Jesus, but Jesus says, that's not the purpose. That's not what we're doing here. Verse 19, Jesus did not permit him to get in the boat and go with him. But he said to him, son... My child, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. You see, he's telling him, he said, I didn't just set you free so you could be free. I set you free so I can set others free. And he gives us a, not only a heart for Jesus, but a heart for the world. There's a mission to, to fulfill. 
We are set free to set others free. You see the purpose of the storm? The purpose, get, the purpose of the storm was not just for the disciples to survive the storm. It was not just for the disciples to get to the other side. It wasn't just for the disciples to learn some things about who Jesus was. Although that took place, that wasn't the primary purpose of the storm. And even the purpose of the storm wasn't just to set this man free. It wasn't just to, to, to get, although that's what happens and that's what takes place. Here Jesus reveals the, the glorious, eternal purpose of the, the storm that they went through. As he says, as he tells them that in verse 19, he says, go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion. And then look what it says in verse 20. It says, and he departed. He obeyed because he had a heart for Jesus. He did what Jesus told him to do. Even though he wanted to get in that boat and go with him, he said, I will do what you've told me to do because I love you. And he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Decapolis is not just a, a little community. Decapolis is a whole Roman province that that is there with thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And revival comes to the capitalists. The whole area is impacted by what Jesus did through this man. What a glorious God we have. See, that's why there's a legion of demons there. Do you understand now? The legion of demons is trying to stop revival from coming to the capitalists. It's trying to keep all of the capitalists lost. It's not just about this man. There's a greater work that is going on here. And so he's, he's trying to keep them going on. And by the way, the demons work in our lives. And what Satan is trying to do in our life is not just about you. He's trying to keep Jesus from doing the work in you because he wants, because Jesus wants to use you to reach your family, to reach your neighborhood, to reach your classmates, to reach your, your, the, the, the people around you at work. And all. Jesus has put you where you are and he's wanting to take you and use you. And so the demons try to come against that. That's why the demons are against what we're doing here in Underwood. That's why this stuff is taking place is because today Jesus is sending a wake-up call and saying, Underwood, I'm ready to use you. Are you ready to be used? Florence is at stake. Lauderdale County is at stake. Central High School, Wilson High School, there are souls at stake in the neighborhoods around us, in the neighborhoods where we live. There are family members whose souls are at stake, and Jesus is ready to set us free so that he can work through us to set the whole community free. Not today, Satan. Not today and not any day moving forward. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.